right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. David Lesky will vent on the Royals with us in about 35 minutes from right now. It is currently 2-1 to one according to the game going on our TV. Never mind if that is a uh, rerun. Yeah, uh, that's about as good as it's going to get. I mean, they were up one nothing. They were early. up one nothing, and then the fifth happened. Yeah, so we'll talk about that with David coming up in about 25 or 35 minutes. We got Case of the Mondays. We're going to talk some NBA playoffs today, some uh, NBA draft stuff with some of the KU players will come up. But I wanted to lead off the show today um, just kind of taking a deep dive into it. You know, we've done our different player deep dives, a couple of them. We've still got a lot more to get to um, into spring bill. And if you're unaware what that is referencing, it is referencing Bill Self and how much he has crushed the spring months, the spring period, however you want to design it, in recruiting in the past. And when uh, there have been a lot of off seasons, maybe you go into it feeling like, you know, eh, it's been a good off season or it's been pretty solid, or maybe you need something to push you over the top. Yeah. He has pretty much come through. I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't. I, I can't think of a year where he hasn't come through. <laughs> I will say this, and we're going to get to one of these guys. Um, I actually, his recruiting, and part of it was was team-related. They had Tyshawn still. They had um, Elijah Johnson, but they had lost the Morris Twins. And one of the reasons that um, it was 2012 was such an incredible year, beyond just going to the national title, and everyone's like, wow, but your guys off the bench were Connor Tian and Justin Wesley. That's amazing. Um and you really only had one NBA. Well, Withy, I guess, became a first-round pick, so you had a couple of first-round-level talents. Um, but 2011, we're going to start before then, but I just want to say one year in which I don't... Ben McLaurin, this was before you got here, there was talk, like June of 2011, it was like his self kind of lost it in the recruiting game because he's only got this four-star kid who, by the way, turned out to be a... a Eventually, a one and done, and a for, you know a lottery pick, and Ben McLemore, he was mm-hmm. amazing. But at that point, he was just a four star, like top fifty kid, and they had him and Jamari Trailer. But and so it was kind of interesting, and I always think back to another guy we'll get to, because in 2011 it was Jamari Trailer and Ben McLemore, and that was essentially their entire um, draft class. Maybe Merv Lindsay was part of that one, but anyway, and then two years later, you get the all-timer in in Wiggs and, and Joel and, and Selden. Um, but it was just funny that, that I I, I, lo- I think about there was once a time where people were like, does Self actually have it? Has he lost it? That seems it? so long ago. Uh, I also have, you know, you've told me stories before about, because I've asked you, you know, I, was, I wasn't a Kansas fan at the time when Bill Self was first hired by KU. I didn't go to KU. I wasn't in the area of like, what was it like when, you know, Bill Self was in whatever that was, year two, year, I, th- I think it was year three, and they started, 
you know, four and three or something yeah, like that. No, three and four. Like, was he on the chopping block? And that, I, that just seems so distant well, the, from right now. The thing was, and, and this goes back to, you know, our conversation with Rust and Dodd about Mark Mangino. I don't know how close it ever got, uh, but Lou Perkins did not hire Bill Self. Um, and, and so I don't know. It's very possible that there were conversations. I Again, this is pure speculation. It's very possible that for year one goes really well. They 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 go to they they finish second in the conference, but they're still a four seed. It's not a terrible year, um, and they're a four seed, and they go to the elite eight and take Georgia Tech. To, they're an overtime away from going to the final four for the third straight year, and that would have been Bill Self's first final four. They they start the following year ranked number one in the country. Everything's great. I do wonder if in fall of 05, into January of 06, where 05 ends with the loss to Bucknell, beginning of conference play, you're sitting there with a 10 and 6. You're not in the tournament. You're 1 and 2 on the conference here. That includes a loss at home to K State back when they were really terrible, um, and a loss on the road to Missouri. Um, and the only thing you had to show for that whole season was a home win. Granted, a really good win, but an absolute throttling of Kentucky. But then you followed up that game against Kentucky by beating Colorado. But then you follow, you know, after that, you go lose to K-State at home, lose to Missouri and Columbia. Part of me wonders if if Perkins was chatting with self. Um, now, again, he, he, I love thinking about that time. And I may bring that up. There's a little preview. Um, there's a time uh, when Derek will be on vacation coming in June and, while I'm running things solo, I'm gonna. I want to do a lot of talk about that time. I I think all the all the time about that. It, it's they're, crazy. They're like, ten and six. They're out of the tournament right. after losing in the first round of the year before, and then since then, you know, they peel off an incredible winning streak. They still lose in the first round, but there was so much even after the Bradley loss. There was so much optimism for this program after the way they ended that year. It's just it's crazy. So he has, and, and really, I, I think a lot of. Uh, this spring bill kind of thing is is correlated with those years. So, uh, kind of diving into this, it, I, I don't know if if this is the first one we want to talk about. It's at least worth mentioning here because this wasn't actually the spring, and this is kind of a weird situation. But Brandon Rush committed to KU in two thousand five. Now, technically, it came I think it was September second, so clearly not in the spring. Far yeah. from it. But if you're just looking at it from the standpoint of saying late arrivals. late additions, right? Or yeah, late arrivals, um, then Brandon Rush would certainly classify. I will say this: I do remember as difficult as that as that team started off with that Brandon Rush freshman year. I do remember um, him. You know, Chalmers, Julian Wright was was it Giles part of that group? Or was I think the year before uh, Giles is either uh, Micah Downs. I, I think, think Giles was, was five. Um, that sounds right. Mm. But anyway, so he's already got a pretty damn good recruiting class in '05. And then there's because I I don't know if there was talk that Rush might go. I feel like there was talk he might go to like a prep school for a year. I don't know there, but there's a reason it took him till September. Um, but I remember the reaction around college basketball, at least from fans, being like, "Who is you know? Okay, fine, it's a bummer they lost to Bucknell, but you're kidding me. He's got this recruiting class, and oh by the way, he just got another five star in September. Holy moly!" So that was there was excitement around at least you know as they would say in the in the SEC country the Cruton. 
I mean, you usually don't see big commits that late in the game. Like Marvin Bagley comes to mind. He was like a late reclass, obviously there. But um, starting in the spring, if we go to 2006, Darrell Arthur commits to KU in May of 2006. And if I remember right, there's kind of a funny story around how this one happens. He had... He had a dream. Uh, that's right. He had a dream that he like he was gonna go to like Baylor or something the day before, and then yep. he dreamt about going to KU. Yep. And that's what I guess swayed the mind. I uh, I had a tennis tournament, um, which is for the record the only sport I was good at in in high school was tennis. I was terrible at football, but really good at tennis. Anyway, I had a tennis tournament. Uh, that was my senior year in high school. The night before, I read a quick little article on KUSports.com. Darrell Arthur committing tomorrow. Everyone in the world, everyone who knew anything about this thought he's the dude's going to Baylor. Um, and this was pre, I mean, Twitter may have existed, but I didn't have it. So this was before, like, you had friends who were texting, but for the most part, the only thing you could have spoiled was a game. So, like, your friends could be like, oh, so, you know, you missed the game, so, you know, KU won earlier today or whatever. But recruiting, it wasn't like now where you just get the information instantaneously. And so I I read that. Next day, I go to school. I have my tennis tournament. I come home that evening, and I do my normal routine, hopping on the computer. I go to KUSports.com, and there's the big story. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and I think Bill was at some function. Um, I, can't, I think it was maybe a charity. It was some sort of event where he was part of a speaking dais. He was up on a dais, mm-hmm. and he was seated and as, as he told the story, his phone starts buzzing, and he just picked it up real quick, and it was a text, and it was just Darrell Arthur, and all it said was, I'm coming to Kansas. And it was, in, like, I tr- that was one of the bigger shocks I remember. Like, Wiggins was exciting. Darrell Arthur was a shock because he was going to Baylor, and it, he didn't. It was amazing. Yeah, and it turns out. It was very pivotal in winning a national title for KU. That was a spring commit, May of 2006. So that was a big get for spring bill. How about 2008? Tyshawn Taylor committed in April of uh, 2008. I don't know how closely contested that one was or a surprise or anything. But again, another late guy that they got and ended up having a a really strong career at uh, Kansas. Then the next year, Xavier Henry. Yep. Which this kind of starts the list of like one and dones who were yeah. spring commits. Henry was all set to go to, as I remember, it, it, he was all set to go to Memphis. And there's kind of a deal going along with Henry where if you wanted Xavier, you had you needed a spot, a walk on spot. You didn't need to give him a scholarship because the Yankees were paying for his college. But C, I think it was CJ Henry. CJ Henry, yeah, had signed with the Yankees out of high school, and and it that didn't uh, work out, and so uh, the Yankees were paying for his college. Um, and so you basically got CJ for, for free or I mean, free is not, yeah, I, I shouldn't word it that way, but you didn't have to offer a scholarship to CJ is what I'm trying to say, but you needed to, you needed to, and it, let's it be was honest. kind of understood. You needed him. You needed to offer him a walk on. If you even if he part of the package deal was, you have to give my brother a scholarship. They probably would. I think you would. Right? He wasn't, you would have made it work. CJ Henry wasn't a legitimate no. division, big 12 type basketball player, but yes, for Xavier Henry, you figure that out. But anyway, I thought I'm pretty sure he was going to Memphis till um, Calipari said, "Oh, I'm going to Kentucky." And a lot of people, I don't remember, I don't know from Xavier's standpoint how close he ever was going to Kentucky. But a lot of people connected him to that stud class that he brought that Calipari brought with him to Kentucky. And what Boogie Cousins, John, John Wall, Wall, others. Um, <laughs> I can't. Eric yeah, Bledsoe. Bledsoe. Yeah, just a crazy team. Um, 
and uh, and a lot of people connected Henry to that, and then a lot of people thought, okay, there's there's John Wall, there's Xavier Henry, and then there's this other guy, Lance Stevenson, who's great, but um, comes with some baggage. Um, and and anyway, Jayhawks wind up getting hit. I remember in like May or June, there were some rumblings, and I don't know if somebody was just trying to stir something up, but there was talks that um, uh, connecting Henry that he was going to back out of his commitment to KU and still go to Kentucky, and it all ended. Somebody texted Xavier Henry, and I remember reading on, on um, it may have been Jayhawk Slant, but I remember reading a story that somebody contacted Henry and said, hey, there's rumbles about this, and Xavier just said, I don't know who said that, I'm coming to Kansas. And so, and anyway, he was a big get because I know, at the very least, Calipari wanted him. Oh yeah, how could you not? He was he was great. Yeah, unbelievable. Pro- I mean, you're talking about a six six wing prospect, five star recruit by all accounts. I mean, most places you look, top ten recruit, top eight recruit um, in the country, and ends up coming to Kansas. And yes, I know it ends up being more forgotten because that team didn't do as much. And when you first think of that team, the first two guys you think of are going to be Sharon and Cole, just yep. without a doubt. And then you're even going to start thinking Probably of like the Morris more twins, right? And Tyshawn Taylor, because they had longer careers. But Xavier Henry, as a freshman, true freshman, played 27 and a half minutes a game, averaged 13 and a half points per game, four and a half rebounds per game, steal and a half per game. And he shot 46% from the field, 42% from three, 78% from the free throw line. Without a doubt, a successful freshman year. I don't know how you argue otherwise. The only thing not successful about Henry's freshman year was that as a team, they came up short in the tournament. Um, I think Xavier Henry, even if they lose in the Elite Eight, like, of course, Final Four, win a national championship, of course, but even if they lose in the Elite Eight, that's still coming up short of what your expectations were. But I still think if they make it that far, Xavier Henry's Henry remembered way differently well there's a world out there where that KU team gets by Northern Iowa and because they're so good they win the title and Xavier Henry goes off and wins final four MLP. yeah and you know what absolutely I mean? he was that talented and I I think his I think his points per game in conference play jumped to like 16 if I remember I could be if you hear this and I turn out to be a giant idiot and I'm way off you can feel free to call me out on it because I don't want to be that I really think his points per game in conference play alone was like 15 or 16, somewhere in a really high, like on that team to average that many points on a team that stacked is bananas. I mean, that would be, you know, everybody thinks back to how stacked the 08 team was and rightly so, but the 2010 team, even though it was bad, you know, it had a, a disappointing tournament showing that thing was stacked with talent. So that was a spring commit. Um, Josh Selby the next year, which obviously didn't work out as well. He had to deal with some injury stuff, so you feel bad. Uh, but regardless, at the time, that was a huge pickup for Bill Self. Again, spring Bill strikes again March twenty or 31st of uh, 2010. So that would have been... In line to see Coheed and Cambria at one of my favorite music venues. Um, no offense, Liberty Hall in Granada. You guys are great. But there's one in Tulsa called Kane's Ballroom which is a jewel of live music. And I was in line to see Coheed and Cambria when my friend texted me and said, Selby's coming to KU. So now you didn't care about that, but you got to hear about it. No, I like it. Um, And then Ben McElmore, 2011, who you mentioned earlier. He, even though he wasn't a five-star, he was still, I looked 24-7 sports at him at number 38, and he was still the highest-ranked recruit in that class. Uh, They got him in April, so another spring bill. Real quick, Ben McElmore, I also think, started, was kind of, in a lot of ways, the beginning of, Bill Self, and I know he's given credit to Curtis Townsend on this, 
But Bill Self and his staff being able to find somewhat diamonds in the rough. Now, he wasn't quite a Frank Mason type because Frank Mason was a three-star. Same with Devontae Graham. Like, you know, these guys were not initially got not going to, to Big 12, you know, Power 5 schools. But McLemore, nobody viewed him as what he was in his redshirt freshman year. And he, you know, so that was another. It was a, it was a great uh, a great late commit, but also on top of that, great great eye for talent by those guys. You mentioned the Andrew Wiggins one earlier. That was big time. That was May of 2013, so that was even later. As these go on, you start to see these, like a lot of the earlier spring ones were March and stuff. These are going to be May and April. That was the case with Wiggins. That was a huge success. That was a huge get. Uh, I don't think anybody really, like, I don't think anybody really knew where he was going to go, to be honest. So this wasn't like a Darrell Arthur thing where everyone was expecting it to be yeah. Taylor. But certainly it was it was a surprise because it was just like, oh, does he go to Florida State? That's where his parents went to. Does he go to, you know, Kentucky or blah, blah, blah. Like there was, there was really no rhyme or reason why he would choose any of the schools that he were finalists for. And that was as big of a get as Bill Self has had in the spring. I remember a local radio station was kind of mocking that somebody from Kentucky was tweeting, they tweeted the morning of that he was going to make his announcement. Um, the Kansas staff is telling anybody who will listen that they're getting <laughs> Andrew Wiggins. And I remember that the the guys on the ra- that radio show that was it was a more it was like eight in the morning. I was on my way to school for a uh, for uh, up to Lawrence to, to campus for a final, um, and they were kind of mocking that like that just sounds like salty, you know, just like uh, you know, you just sound salty tweeting that. Like, what do you mean they're like Bill's and they're like is Bill Self sitting at the salty iguana and he's like. Hey waiter, let me tell yeah. you something. The He's like, on nope, campus with nope, a megaphone. Like, hey, gonna, nope, I have not going to listen to you, coach. Nope, leave me alone. <laughs> not listening to you. But anyway, um, yeah. So Wiggins was, um, that was crazy, and and it led to uh, Wiggins commit and the excitement for it was led to uh, them changing the rules for how they get people in line at late night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is right, because uh, that was a mess to get into that thing. I put the next year on here because these are notable players. It wasn't, like, that notable at the time because they weren't, like, high-end recruits. But they got Sviatoslav Mikhailuk in May of 2014. They also got Devontae Graham in May of 2014. Ended up being great players for KU. At the time, it was more of kind of a, oh, this is cool. They got these players. Let's see what they turn into. I think Svi, if I remember right, did you would you agree that the, the excitement was more around Svi than De- yes. Devontae? Because it was like, oh, this he's a 16-year-old yeah, who's playing on. Yeah. Yeah. The Ukrainian national team, yep. you know what I mean? Um, but the next big one, you'd have to go to 2015. April of 2015, Sheck Diallo. I remember when they made the commit, either you called me or I called you. Was he in an all-star game when that happened? Or no, he no, we watched him together. I think it was we, like yeah, earlier no, that week or something. Yeah, we the watched McDonald's him All-American. together at the McDonald's All-American. We didn't watch it at the game, but we watched that. We watched him play in that game together. I remember us having the conversation like, holy cow, this was the missing piece. Yeah. They're bringing back all these players <laughs> from last year. Like, they just need the shot-blocking center. Turns out they already had it. Well, not the shot-blocking part, but they already had, like, the, the center they needed on the roster with Landon Lucas. I but. mean, that's the thing. If you would have said the day after, if you would have told us the day after Sheck Diallo committed, hey, this team's going to be the number one overall seed in the 16 tournament, we'd have been like, okay, yeah, that's not, you know, <laughs> right, great. Right. That's awesome. They've had a great year, but that's not super surprising. Because they're bringing about a, b- a bunch of talent, we just would have thought Sheck would have played a bigger role. Yeah, and then he, yeah, you would have said, "Oh, he's only going to play seven and a half minutes per game." You would have said, "Wait, what?" 
Um, that doesn't make sense. But yeah, uh, so the next year, though, it was an equally as big one in terms of at the time, but it actually even bigger because Sheck was the top 10 guy, but he wasn't like, you know, top three. Josh Jackson was. By some accounts, he was the number one prospect in the country. That was a huge man. And that one was kind of similar to Wiggins, too. Actually, maybe even Darrell Arthur because I remember there were a lot of talk that, oh, he's going to go to Michigan State, he's going to play, because I think he was from Detroit, but yeah. then he played high school basketball in like Southern California or something, that he was going to go back there and team up with Miles Bridges and some of these other big-time freshman recruits, Cassius Winston, whoever else, Jaron Jackson, I don't know if he would have been on that one, um, that he's going to go You're up You're right, though, because they were returning. That team yeah. disappointed in the tournament. They were a two-seed and lost to their 15, but they were still bringing back a lot of talent from a team that I think won the Big Ten. Yes, and then there was also the talk that he was going to go to Arizona. And Kansas was almost, like, it wasn't an afterthought. There were certainly rumors that it could happen. And then kind of the day of. Have we lost Thon Maker to Arizona by then, too? <sighs> Did he end up picking a school before he eventually went pro? I can't remember. I know KU lost DeAndre Ayton to Arizona. So no, maybe, maybe that's, that's what, what I'm of. thinking of. No, that might be who I'm thinking of. But yeah, Josh, I mean, that was another huge one in May. And that team was so much fun to watch with Josh Jackson and Frank Mason. Your favorite team ever, right? Favorite team to watch. Unbelievable. They were, they were, they were pretty special. And then if we get into our most recent group of players, so uh, this was, you know, this was more by circumstance than anything, but again, it chalks up into uh, spring bill. 2019 Jalen Wilson, uh, he, he decommitted from Michigan late in the game because John Beeline ends up going off to take the Cleveland Cavaliers job, opens him up. He commits to KU June 12th, 2019. Summer solstice, not till June 21st. So that's still in the spring category, right? Yeah, there you go. Or maybe it's June 22nd. One of the one of one those. One of those. Um, so that counts, and that has worked out okay. He uh, helped KU win a national title this past year. Uh, 2019, they also got Isaiah Moss a few days before that, the transfer from Iowa, and that like that team needed that. That team had a driver in Devon Dotson. They had the inside guy in Udo Gazbuki. They needed outside shooting. If you remember the year before, they were terrible at outside shooting. Yeah. He stabilized that. He them. gets lost a lot in because you know because he was a transfer. But a lot of and I'm glad Bill actually brought him up when he was talking about how you know this is you know how when he talked about Devon and uh, Doak, he also he made it made it a point to bring up Isaiah. And I think because he was a transfer, a lot of people, a lot of fans forget what a big role he played in, in what it would was have, a starter. Yeah, and and, and, and what would have been the, the number one overall seed and, and may have been Bill Self's second national title. Yeah. Um he was huge for that team. So that was a, a spring get and that one was a weird one too. He like committed to I think Arkansas or something and then like decommitted like a week later and then came to KU. Um and then we'll we'll kind of wait and see on some of these guys but like Bobby Pettiford was a spring get for KU. He decommits from Louisville. We've already put our necks out for Pettiford. We're yes. both high on him. So that was a big get. Zach Clements, I don't know if we count this or not because uh, most of what we're talking about here with Spring Bill is getting these guys who are about to play this next season. Yeah. Zach Clements was a spring get, but he was a spring get in 2020 when he was still a junior. Yeah, I mean, Zach probably Clements, count that. In, in terms of when they arrive on campus, Clements, um, he committed earlier in his kind of high school career uh, even than Perry Ellis. And I remember Perry Ellis, I, I don't know this, but it seemed like with Perry Ellis and his personality, he committed, I think, in October of 2011. Which was a big get because, as I mentioned earlier, with the twenty eleven, with the class of twenty eleven, people were like, "Man, what's going on with Bill?" And then, early in fall of twenty eleven, he got a really big name for the for the class of twenty twelve in Perry Ellis. But Perry Ellis, it felt like it was just like, "I don't want to deal with this during my senior year. I know where I'm going." I'm just Which seems very Perry. Exactly. I'm gonna get out. I'm, I don't. Again, I've never read this. 
I'm speculating just Perry being how he was. I do wonder if it was like, no, I know I want to go to Kansas. I don't want to keep answering questions after all, you know, after every game at Wichita Heights. I'm just going to announce it. Yeah. So um, that was another one. And then uh, obviously all the transfers. Jalen Coleman lands was a spring get. Uh, Cam Martin, Remy Martin was a spring get. That's obviously a big one with Remy Martin, right? Maybe that one was <laughs> technically summer, but, you know, close enough. No, it was May, wasn't it? Mayor, I guess he said he was going to come to KU and then play out the draft process, and then ended up coming back. So oh, okay, yeah, it would have okay, been May. It okay. would have been May. Um, but yeah, that was um, spring bill. I mean, it's gotten to the point where a lot of people, it's like if, if you legit, you just like expect it now. If you text a friend spring bill, <laughs> they'll know what you like for the most. If you're if you're big into KU basketball, they'll know what you mean. Like mm-hmm. it's not just a thing that Derek and I have coined. Uh, spring bill is a real force of nature. Yes. And I guess that's the point here. Like, uh, one, this is just kind of walking down memory you're under, lane. March comes around. You're under tornado watch, and you're under spring bill watch. <laughs> There's like they have sirens when Bill Self is in town recruiting your school, and until so like, is there a tornado? No, no Self just, just landed the five here. star. Um, it, it's not that people are panicking or nervous. You just want a title, so that's not happening anyway. But even if they were, like, even if they didn't win a title, I should say people wouldn't be panicking anyway because Bill Self's your coach, and you know you you have a good team with recruits and all this stuff. Um. But I guess my point is here that, you know, draft decisions aside, all those guys we named, like, those are all huge splashes in the spring. I feel very confident that something is coming here in the next two or three weeks. How many guys in the top, uh, let's say top 20 are still, mm-hmm. I, well, you may not know this all the time, and we got it, we've, we've been on, this has been a long opening segment, so we may need to hit a break. So we may look this up if you want. We can look this up and, and say next segment. But offhand, do you know how many top 20s are still? Because this, this class is actually a big number. For freshmen, this class is already Let's take a look committed. at it. Let's take a look at it. We'll do that on the other side. David Lesky will join us in 10 minutes. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Right, David Lesky is going to join the show in about five or so minutes here. Um, so <laughs> the entire top 50 on the 24-7 composite, except for one guy, is committed right yeah, now. It, they've they've <laughs> commits this year have wasted no time. Yeah, and uh, the only guy who's left, Julian Phillips, he's a 6'8 power forward, top 12 in the country. He's out of Branson, Missouri, so he is kind of nearby. It doesn't have KU on his, you know, uh, I don't know. It, I, I'm sure they offered him, but it, I don't know how they determine what five they show on the page. They're not on there, but again, I'm sure they've offered. I don't know. Maybe I, the way I was leaning was more so that whoever they add is going to be transfer portal. I mean, they already I have would, a bunch yeah, of freshmen yeah, coming yeah, in. That's a good point. And and uh, Brian Haney said, and and he said it was it was his feeling. He wasn't reporting it, but um, so I don't want to I don't want to put words in his mouth or anything. But he did say, in his opinion, he felt like uh, KU was going to be active uh, in the transfer portal. Yeah, 
And I so think the reason still time for that for sure. I think the reason you haven't seen them actually snag anybody yet is because they're still waiting on some not just draft decisions overall, but they're waiting to hear back from you know they have the uh, we're going to talk more about the NBA draft combine and the G League combine coming up here. But once those players start to get that feedback after those combines, they'll have a better yep. idea. Okay, you will of hey who's coming, who's staying, and then they'll know I think better. How many guys can we bring in? Are we bringing in one? Are we bringing in two? Whatever it is, I just feel very confident that at least they'll bring in, you know, unless Jalen and Christian both come back, but I'm, I'm not really expecting that, that they'll get one very big transfer and we can chalk it back up to the spring bill. I agree. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I would look for I would look for the that being the most case, the, the highest case scenario is that he lands, is that another big transfer announces they're coming to Kansas. Maybe like, further like maybe the second most likely scenario is that Christian and Jalen both come back but I think that's a giant gap in in probability from getting a transfer like I I think it's I would I don't know 15 percent that both I think Christian's gone um more and more mock drafts have him going in the first round and I think as um I I think it's that's only going to grow I think as, as teams see him show out in the um in the combine. He's Adam Rivetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Real quick, our daily poll at RCST 1320. What was your favorite KU spring bill recruiting snag? Darrell Arthur, Andrew Wiggins, Josh Jackson. Those are the three main big ones or other. I'm are going Darrell Arthur. I know, like, you're probably going Josh, right? I mean, Wiggins was the more exciting one, but, in terms of you know, yeah. hindsight 2020, I'll go with Josh. All right, he's Adam Rivetta. I'm Derek Johnson. David Lasky joins us next. This is RCST. Well, the Royals lost again the, earlier today to the Baltimore Orioles on the road. And we're joined by David Lesky of Inside the Crown. Check out all his great work. Subscribe to his Substack and get all that work emailed right to your email. You open it up in the morning. When I'm getting ready, I check my email and I see it. I get to read through. It's great with David. Uh, what's not great, though, right now is the Kansas City Royals. David, have you, have you thought through it all? Like, do you think you would be, I don't know, um, working for like NASA or uh, I don't know, like, like what would you be doing productively with your time? If, if you weren't having to, to spend all this time watching this team, I mean, what's more productive than this paint, watching paint dry, watching grass grow. <laughs> I, you know, th- there are any number of professions out there that uh, not even professions, just hobbies. Um, I, you know, I, I think, um, Hanging clothes up would would be a would be a much better use of my time. I mean, there's 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 about a million things I could do, but for some reason I can't stop watching. <laughs> putting, putting clothes away is actually one of my least favorite chores. It's funny you brought that up. Yeah, I love doing laundry. Putting it away, I hate. I my, so that I, I wind up just having my clothes my clothes uh, contain my like the the place where I go to get clean clothes is just my laundry basket full of clean clothes. <laughs> Not the dryer. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, mine's yeah. mine's no, vacuuming. No, no, it's that, that and unloading a dishwasher. Those are my two least favorite things. And right now, I'd rather do both of those things than yeah. um, watch the Royals. But I'm, I'm going to keep watching because I'm an idiot. Yeah, hey, aren't we all? Um, well, <laughs> Salvador Perez had uh, four total hits over the doubleheader yesterday after really coming into uh, Sunday's game and, and with these three games against the Orioles here. Uh, struggling is that a sign of of nice things to come, or was it just kind of a product of having all those days off to kind of help out a, a little bit of an older player? With you know, even though he's not like that old, but comparatively with with catcher knees, 
Yeah, I mean, he had two more today, too. So six in the three-game series, which is really like a nice number <laughs> given that he was over 26. So um, I, I think I think the three days probably helped Salvador Perez more than anybody. Um, you know, I was looking back at him trying to think, why is Salvador Perez hitting so poorly? What is going on? If you can kind of trace it back to him getting hit in the hand in um, in Seattle. And he did get two hits the next day. They were both doubles, but they were soft doubles. And after that, it just got ugly. And I, and I think that um, and he didn't break his hand, obviously. And, and so he had a bruise. And I think that you get three days off and you aren't having a ball hit, you know, hitting, hitting a ball with a bruised hand. Even, I mean, with a bat, hold it with your hand holding a bat. You know, it, it, it hurts. You can never really fully recover. We saw what happened with Hunter Dozier last year and bruised thumb. And he, he didn't really recover until after the All-Star break when he had, what, what was that, four days off. So, I mean, I, I think that um, and there's a lot to that. And, and maybe maybe that really was all it was with Salvador Perez. But he, um, he looks better. He looks better at the plate. He, he even drove a ball. Um, it wasn't a hit. But he put one, I mean, dead center. It was barreled. It's, I mean, whatever ball baseball is using right now, it's never going to go out. <laughs> if balls like that are lazy fly balls, but you know, it's, it's, um, it's encouraging because this offense, uh, I mean, you, you, we can complain about Whit Merrifield who's now hitting six. So that's, that's a good sign. Um, we can complain about this or that or whatever, but if Salvador Perez, the really lone big home run threat in the lineup is literally coming up with air every time they're, they were never going to score runs at least now. And then this is if, if he continues this, at least you feel like they have a chance to score some runs <laughs> because if if whoever's hitting leadoff right now it's Bobby Witt Jr. and Ben Intendi get on base, you have a shot for a three-run homer if he's going to at least make contact. Um, and that they didn't even have that shot for like a good week and a half. You know, Jorge Soler struggled so much last year. People were calling for him to be DFA'd, um, and then all of a sudden he ended up getting traded for something. Uh, you know, uh, with – Whit Merrifield, I don't know when those calls are going to start coming. I know, you know, most of the the commentary has been drop him even further in the order and all of those things, and and give him a day off or don't make him a regular, whatever it is. Um, I, I I guess where I'm going with this, where can we get early future odds on Whit Merrifield winning 2022 World Series MVP after he's traded away? Um, you know, I, I, that I don't know. I think have you not? It's not up on Bovada yet because I assume I haven't seen it. Um, okay, keep an eye out because I'm sure that's the first place it'll be. No, I mean we joke, but gosh, can you even imagine the Royals trading Merrifield now when they wouldn't trade him when they were <laughs> terrible and he was good? I mean that uh, you know I I I have my issues with Dayton Moore, um, quite a few. And um, I, I think that if, if they were to move Whit Merrifield now, <laughs> after hanging on to him for all those years when it didn't really matter, and then giving him a bunch of money that they didn't need to give him before this season, I mean, I guess if they could rid the contract, that would be something. But, oh, boy, if, if that move happened now, I, I think that I would probably – um, maybe be one of the loudest fire Dayton Moore and Dave Piccolo people out there because that would be, ooh, that would just be really bad. <laughs> really, really bad look. And I guess to add to it is, you know, they didn't, 
he showed reasons to be brought up in um, before he was, and so there's yeah to add to it, you know. And and look, I know, and I don't want to pick on the guy because I brought him up a bunch, but they they clearly promoted Mondesi over Whit Merrifield, and um, the the problem with that is 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 you look at how much better sixteen and seventeen could have gone. If you and I'm not saying they're repeat world champions or anything, but you put Merrifield on a team that I think wound up going 82 and 80, and then a team in 17 that I think went 80 and 82, and and a big reason was because they unfortunately their their best pitcher passed away before the season started, so they had two years of hovering around 500 baseball that they could have used a good Whit Merrifield at that time. Yeah, I mean 16, you know, not not to relitigate the past or anything, but I, I think 16 Merrifield was okay. Um, but you wonder, would he have been better had he been up in 15 when when he thought he was getting the call up? Um, now they ended up getting Ben Zobris and they won the World Series, and so it's, it's kind of it, it's easy to say, well, they should have this, they should have that. What they did do worked. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm just more talking about so, the following two years. Could they well, have, no, but, could they have grabbed a third year in the playoffs? Potentially, yeah, and that's what I'm getting at is. Is, had they brought up Merrifield in 15 and he had his kind of growing pains that young hitters have, because he did in 16, he wasn't great. I mean, he had a good average, but he didn't hit for any power. He didn't walk at all. Uh, he was useful, but not great. Would he have been 2017 Merrifield in 2016, which I think could have catapulted them to the playoffs? Now, I don't know the answer, obviously, um, but, you know, they, you're right. They, they obviously, they promoted, or they had, they had Mondesi on the opening day roster in 2017. Over Whit Merrifield. I mean, it wasn't even just, oh, 2016 they put him up there. Because they didn't. It wasn't Monty over Merrifield then. But in 2017, they decided they wanted more athleticism at second base. And so they put Alberto Monty on the roster over Merrifield. Merrifield spent, I don't know, three weeks in AAA. He was up before the end of April. I remember that. And they were like, I want to say similar to this year, like 7 and 16 or something when he came up. Um, and they went 80 and 82. I mean, they... they they, they they cratered down the stretch. I think there was, like you mentioned, Ventura. There was a lot of stuff in that season. But you're right. Had they had they brought him up earlier, could he have been a bigger part, or could they have avoided seven and sixteen or whatever it was? I don't remember. If they were ten and thirteen, all of a sudden you're eighty three and seventy nine, and things look different. You know, it's a very different. You're not marching to the end of the season at that point. You're like, oh, we're two games out at that point. They, you know, think things could could have been very different and. Yeah, the, the whole situation with Tennessee with and Merrifield has been handled poorly by this organization from the very start. Well, uh, now that we're, we're questioning the man and, and talking about organizational flaws, how about Jacob Junis, who owns a 1.2 ERA, a .87 whip, and has 15 strikeouts and 15 innings of work for the Giants. It's kind of a long-relief, spot-starting swing man. He got the start yesterday against the Cardinals. Prior to that, he was kind of coming in for a few innings at a time. Um, and so, you know, on one hand, it's... It's not that big of a deal if you look at it from the standpoint of, well, the Giants are just doing this. Like, that's what's making them a really good team uh, right now with Farhan Zaidi and, and that group. Like, they did it with Kevin Gossman. They did it with Anthony DiSclefani and, and so forth down the list. Um, but it's it's also, like, hard for me not to look at that as a huge indictment on the Royals' pitching plans or development or however you want to term that and see Mike Matheny and Cal Eldridge and and whoever else, uh, you know, with Eldridge and and everybody else that would kind of deal with the pitching game plan and the development and stuff as as not putting these guys into the best situations and kind of being underprepared. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the the grander point, yes, I agree with that. The the Junis point in particular, 
think back to last year, he uh, started the year with 12 innings and a one-and-a-half ERA with 15 strikeouts and three walks. This year, 15 innings, 15 strikeouts and three walks, a one-point, what is it, 1.2 ERA. So, <laughs> Junis in the, in the macro or the micro of that, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's something to be, you know, uh, just completely upset about all, all the time because I, I think – you got a guy who's throwing ninety-one. <laughs> he he's got a great fighter, and then they've got him throwing his changeup more. And I and I believe a lot more in what he's doing with the Giants. He started last year off the same way, so I want to hang on with him. Um, but on the whole, yeah, <laughs> they they are they are behind the times at the big league level, and and I think that they've they've. I think it's important to note that they have completely overhauled their hitting development. We know that. They've revamped their pitching development and in a way that they probably need more, honestly, but they have gotten really advanced in the minors with what they do. Um, so, yeah, it's not working yet, um, and it may not ever work, but, but they, they have actually at least done some things in the minor leagues. But at the big league level, I, I think I've said this a, a million times in the last couple of years, pitching development – you don't come to the majors a finished product because it's impossible to get to the majors a finished product because you don't face big league in the minors. <laughs> it's like in AAA, you can do a lot of things that you can't do against big league hitters. And so you have to continue learning. And yeah, there are going to be guys who have good, you know, George Kirby went out yesterday and just looked nasty for the Mariners. Um, but it, it's not always going to be that way um, for him. It's, there is a finishing school in the majors, and the Royals at the big league level are teaching things. I don't know. I don't, know, I, mean, I don't want to give a number because I, I probably shouldn't say it this way, but their, their philosophy is one that probably would have worked really well 20 years ago. And the problem is the game has advanced, I don't know, a million times since then. <laughs> I might be low on that number, and, and they haven't. Um, Cal Eldred is bad at his job. He is a bad pitching coach. I can say that unequivocally. He is, but this is his, what, fifth year? Uh, yeah, fifth year as pitching coach. They don't get better. They never get better. <laughs> and that's, that's a huge problem, especially given the investment that they have put into this pitching staff. Not, not huge monetarily from a baseball perspective, but, I mean, they spent all those picks in 2018 on pitching, and then they went out and they got Ace Lacey. Now he hasn't been in the big league, so that's, that's not on Cal Aldred yet. Um, but I mean, they've spent a lot of capital on pitching and Daniel Lynch looks pretty good. And that's about all I can say. And, and the reality is Daniel Lynch looks pretty good. I think you can give Zach Greinke a lot of credit for that because anytime you see Daniel Lynch, he's, he's next to Greinke. I mean, it, 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 I'm, I'm guessing Zach Greinke wants a restraining order on Daniel Lynch right now, but it's, <laughs> It's working. I mean, yeah, he gave up. He struggled yesterday in that second game of the doubleheader, but he also had 17 swings and misses. He is the only pitcher in the Royals rotation to have had double-digit swings and misses in a game. He's done it four out of five starts. He's the only guy to do it, and he's done it four out of five. I mean, I guess, yeah, if you want to credit Cal Aldridge, sure, you can, but I think it's, I don't think that's Cal Aldridge. No, but doesn't that make you think, doesn't that just make you think if there was, uh, like, like again, let, pick whatever team you think has good pitching development or, or pitching infrastructure, you know, uh, the Dodgers, the Giants, the, I don't know, the Yankees maybe, I don't know, whatever, it doesn't matter. Pick that team and put Daniel Lynch on that team. Like, what do you think yeah. that looks like? Seriously. I mean, I, I think, 
number two starter within a year. And I mean, I think it's important to remember a lot of these, like Daniel Lynch hasn't thrown a hundred innings yet. So yeah, there's still a finishing school to, 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 to be there. But you know, you look at a guy like Carlos Hernandez, he's taking a step back this year. <laughs> he, he looked, he looked okay for four innings and people say, Oh, just okay. At four, he, yeah, he looked fine. He wasn't, he wasn't getting swings and misses. I mean, he was getting weak contact from a bad Orioles lineup. I, I'm not. I'm not going to say that I wouldn't have been excited if he'd gone seven shutout innings, but like, that wasn't great. <laughs> I mean, it, Chris Bubich is is has the second highest ERA among pitchers with like ten innings this season. He's gone backwards. Brady Singer didn't make the rotation, and in this rotation, Jackson Coar has gone down Triple A. He's just broken. I mean, all of these guys—they're not only not getting better, they're getting worse. And then, <laughs> I think that that's no. Go, go ahead, ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just saying. I think that's an indictment on on the Royals' coaching staff. Well, and I'll add to it. It 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 means what it also means with with the way this organization seems to decide to not trade guys is it means that what you're going to get is is Brad Keller is going to give you a lot of good years and years where you're going to go seventy two and ninety, and then he's mm-hmm. his best years are either you know are his I don't know two of his first best years are going to be laboring for the Royals, being the best pitcher on a guy who can't get run support like Grinky, and then he's going to go and 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 go be a, a $200 million guy or, you know, nine nine-figure guy for another team to compete for a world championship. So his best years may as well be wasted now cause, on you uh, because you're not going to go to a, 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 the playoffs with him anyway, the way these things are going, even when he hits his prime. Yeah, I think it's very possible that you're right. And then, I mean, it's, it's just so frustrating, and and I'm, I'm writing something about this for tomorrow, and and I, it, it's long time for people to lose their jobs. It's it's been time for Cal Aldred. I think it's time for Terry Bradshaw. I think I mean, in my opinion, I would I would move on from Matheny. But here's the problem, and this is an overarching organizational issue. They won't, and they won't for whatever reason. I don't know if I don't know why. Yeah, I'm going to use Dayton more. I think DJ Piccolo's got some say. I don't think he has as much as he should. Um, but Dayton Moore won't pull that trigger. And and it gets to a point, that, and I, I don't want to be here this, this quickly in John Sherman's ownership, but it gets to a point that if you're – if the people you have employed to make your decisions on the baseball side aren't making the decisions that need to be made, then you need to make a decision. And – at some point, John Sherman's got to say, this is my baseball team. You will do what I say, and if you don't, then I will find somebody who will, who will do what I say. Um, not that you want the owner involved in baseball decisions. You don't want a Dan Glass situation, all that. But at some point, you've got to do something. I've never seen a team fail this much and make zero changes. They just do nothing. No, ever. they fail upwards. They fail <laughs> upwards. Whit Merrifield gets dropped from the one hole in the next game. He's hitting two, which is, you know, by a lot of analytically driven lineups, like the two spot is the most important spot. Or to your point, more, Dayton yeah, Moore, right. Dayton Moore was the GM, and he, you know, there was talk last year. Could Dayton Moore get fired? And then he gets promoted to vice president. Now, and look, I think there's an argument to be made for – Seeing this out with 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 Dayton Moore, but again, if he won't make the decisions that need to be made at the big league level, then John Sherman's going to have to make them for him. And that, that's all I'm getting at. Yep, 
Yep. All right. Uh, before we let you go, David, in this very uh, positive conversation we've had with you, <laughs> one last thing with Adam. All right, David, one last thing. The stock market has taken a huge tumble in the last week. Which organ are you prepared to sell so you can retire? You only need one kidney, right? Yeah. yeah. Then I'm going to sell both of them. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> well, David, I appreciate the time, and uh, good luck talking to you next week without any kidneys. <laughs> yeah, I'll do my best. Right. I-, I won't drink anything. <laughs> there we go. Uh, you might have to. He is uh, David Lesky of Inside the Crown. Uh, subscribe to his Substack. Really good work with David, and enjoy having him on the show each and every week. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down. Two to go. We're going to get to your case of the Mondays coming up next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. you freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. Oh, let's just calm down. Look around you. With Derek Johnson and Adam Gravetta. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right. It's time for Case of the Mondays. Most importantly, Adam is in Case of the Mondays. I'm in there. Open now. Uh, also, this is very exciting. So over on our sister station, don't listen right now. Listen to us. But just FYI. Over on our sister station, um, they're giving away now, that's what I call Music 82. Mm -hmm. And I bring that up because that song, uh, Return of the Mac, was probably my favorite as a kid. I'm old enough to remember when Now 1 came out. Um, Now, to be clear, they release about 30 of those things a year, so it's not like they're releasing one a year and I'm 82 years old. Um, But anyway, Return of the Mac was probably my favorite, favorite song on that uh on now that's what i call music volume one whenever i hear that we're on because yeah you're right we're, they were giving away number 82 whenever i hear that we're like on that one that we're on 82 it makes me feel so old so old because i remember as a kid it'd be like oh number number 30 or something like that <laughs> well i remember one so yeah there we go <laughs> i just remember it me calling now yeah and now we're up to 82 which uh yeah like i said just makes me feel old all right let's go ahead and cue the music here into our case of the mondays first up probability is having a case of the mondays but a bunch of people's pockets aren't yeah cuz i know Others, what you're maybe. i know what you're but yeah some aren't or some are i know what you're talking but you're about to talk about well, uh, the Kentucky Derby was over the weekend, which we got you fully prepared for with our uh, Kentucky Derby game. Um, the biggest yeah, underdog, Rich Strike, won the Kentucky Derby. If I would have asked you Rich Strike, would you have said movie or? No, I would have said horse. Yeah, that doesn't sound that, like that a movie. That was a very horse name. He was, he was 80 to 1 odds. We're not bad people, Lois. Horses <laughs> are bad people. Did you... Uh, 
Did you see that they sold the, you know, how they have like, you go to a bowl game or you go to like the Super Bowl and they'll sell t-shirts and they'll say Super Bowl XL or whatever. It yeah, yeah, teams yeah. On it and stuff. They sell t-shirts at the Kentucky Derby and it says Kentucky Derby 2022. I thought you weren't allowed to wear t-shirts. I thought you had to dress nice at the Kentucky well, Derby. You just have to buy them. I, I, I don't know how that works. I know they have like a pit area. Like maybe that is more, you oh, know. But yeah. either way, you can buy the t-shirt. And um, on the back of the t-shirt, it has the horses and what lane they start in. This horse wasn't even on there. Yeah, because they probably made them. This thing, I think it was a matter of minutes before the end of um, the, whatever the deadline was for one horse to pull out of the race and another in, a, in an alternate to be added was with, I mean, it was within, I mean, it was really coming down to the end, end, end. It wasn't like Friday morning they woke up. As I understand it, it was like the end, end of the deadline was coming and they and that's when Ridge Strike was added. Yeah, and so um, he ends up winning it. Like I said, eighty to one odds, which I believe was the biggest long shot in over a hundred years to win. It was, I think second biggest of all time. Out of out of uh, comparison, I went up and did this. We we just talked with David Lesky there. Um, the Royals to win the AL Central right yeah. now. And this was I checked this morning, so this was before the Orioles game. Although I doubt you know one loss really affected it that much. Uh, twenty-five to one odds to win the AL Central. Yeah. Basically, I don't know three and three and a fifth time the odds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is what this horse won at all? And, and the run that it went on was absolutely remarkable too. If was, you go was, watch the they had the replay of the overhead, it, right? It, yeah, it looked like it was going to be a really really fun race to the finish from two horses. Mm-hmm. And then this and and one then, was the favorite. Uh, yeah, epicenter, I think. On the rail, just comes yeah. roaring. And it's Roaring. like it's like weaving through all these different horses. Where yeah, it wasn't able to run in a straight no, line. The other favorites are running straight. It's just like weaving through, unbelievable. And I have to wonder now because you and know he tried to eat the other horse that he was walking yes. with after the race. Well, was hold over. on, hold on there. Um, but um, I I think that you know um, I don't know what to do with it because like again in the NCAA tournament when. You know, when Northern Iowa beats Kansas. Yeah. Like, it's different when North Carolina beats Baylor because that's a blue blood, even though they're an eight seed. Like, whatever. Yeah. When when Northern Iowa beats Kansas, yeah. it doesn't all of a sudden make Northern Iowa the favorite in the Sweet 16, oh, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But they... But does this make that horse the favorite now? So, I'm trying to remember the name of the horse. It was either Mind That Bird or Giacomo. In 05, like a 30 or 50 to 1. Not, not 80 to 1, mm-hmm. but like, I think a 50 to 1... I think it was mine that bird um won it in 05 and i believe by the preakness that horse was the favorite now maybe it was because of the style the it wasn't just the fact that it ran the kentucky or won the kentucky derby part of it was also the preakness being such a short course maybe they maybe that horse would have been one of the favorites at the preakness anyway because it, i i don't know um but i i do know that yeah this um uh, Rich Strike is not going to be. I mean, it's probably you're probably thinking like a five to one sort of thing, maybe even maybe even shorter than right at, at, at the at the Preakness. Well, because it's racing. So like, if you show that you can or win maybe a race, Belmont. which one's the second one? Uh, Belmont's the really really long race. Preakness is really I short, Preakness but I can't second. remember the order. I think you're right. Yeah, because usually yeah the long ones last. And yeah, that's, that's Belmont where uh, Secretariat did his thing. Right? Yeah, ran ran or uh, won by a thousand miles or something so the biggest underdog it's not just that if you you know because 80 to 1 odds for it to win um but one popular thing that happens in horse betting is 
you know, you, you kind of parlay them together. So if you parlay three teams, or not teams, uh, three horses together, it's called a trifecta. If you parlay two horses together, it's called an exacta. But what you do is it that it's not an exact parlay. It's, you know, if you're saying an exacta, you're predicting that the, those two horses you pick are going to finish exactly yep, first, first and second. and second. And if you box it, that means you get both sides. So if you pick the one horse and the two horse and you box it, either order as long as they finish top two there's another one where you could just pick like you could bet on i don't know the name of this but you could bet on um like any horse to go to win place or show first and it's less odds yeah so you can just bet on it to show yeah you you bet on it to show and it gets either the top three then you yeah correct same with place if you bet on place it finishes top two right so yeah you still if you bet on 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 rich strike just to show Mm -hmm. you're still getting really good money yes even yeah even the place was like 30 something to one odds um but if you did an exacta which would mean you predicted the top two horses in either order um if you did an exacta box a $1 bet, no, I'm sorry, a $2 bet would have paid you $4,100. Did you see the, uh, which is an almost impossible to get, but did you see the... the uh, yes, the superfecta. The superfecta, that's yeah. the top four so the in, the, trifecta in the correct first, order. The trifecta. Trifecta is in the correct order, yes. right? One, two, three. The trifecta, which is the top three, a $1 bet paid off $14,870. And the superfecta, which is the top four... A $1 bet paid off $321,000. Impressive. But nobody bets on that, right? There's no way anybody I, bet I, on that. I, I don't know. I don't. I mean, the thing is, that's something I would bet because I only like betting one or two bucks at a time. But I wouldn't bet the top four. Like, if I was betting, I understand. I'm sure there were some people who won on the bet of the horse winning because they just went... You know, oh, I'm drunk. It's 81 odds. Let yeah, me put yeah. $2 yeah. on it. It's fun. It's the guy, last guy. If I lose $2, I lose $2. I don't think anybody in their right mind, though, made a tri- uh, super trifecta out of it, though, right? Yeah, you'd have to. I, I don't know. I guess you'd have to. Unless you, like, knew something. I don't know. I uh, I have bet on and won one horse race in my life, and I can't remember the name of the horse, but it was 12 to 1 in the 20. It, the winner of the 2012 Derby was, I got him at twenty or 12 to 1 odds. Um, and I was just like, eh, whatever. I've never been on a horse race before. Let's do this. And I just, I found, I knew nothing about it. I just knew, well, you know, long shots are probably not going to win. I'm not going to get much return if I bet the favorite. So let's just find somebody near the top, but not right at the top. And I was like, ah, oh, 12 to 1 sound is a decent return. Uh, by the way, the next in case of the Mondays is um, anti-cannibalism. Yeah. Because, as you mentioned, Rich Strike, after winning the Kentucky Derby, was immediately, like, biting the other horses, nipping at other horses. He gets, like, punched in the face by another jockey. Needs to be fine. I think that's a 50 mm. oat bag fine. I agree. At least. At least, yeah. 100 oat like, bags. Can you imagine, like, you know, okay, people, stu- you know, like, okay, there's been some controversy in the NBA. Um, You know, Dylan Brooks, you know, did he take a swing? Whatever. But imagine, like, okay... It's not a, a dirty hit. It's, you know, like Golden State wins the series against Memphis. And then on the way out, you know, Dron Green starts trying to eat one of the ushers. <laughs> that would be quite the controversy. You look tasty, sir. Let me take a bite of you. <laughs> yeah, that would be. Um, so good reminder, horses are not people. Uh, next up on Case of the Mondays, Max Muncy's future children. 
So Max Muncie, really good player for the Dodgers. He's had a really slow start to this season, though, uh, coming off an injury. He, um, I don't know what the, the official call was on this. He, you know, ball gets through and it kind of bounces off the, the catcher and it goes kind of by him. And the catcher for the Cubs, Wilson Contreras, is trying to work around him to go pick up the baseball with a runner on base. And Max Muncy just stands in his position, doesn't move, which, you know, understandable. This was mere split seconds right yeah, after and that. Yeah, he, he was in the batter's box. Too, yes, exactly. Right. And that's totally legal and everything. But he's just staying there. He's not moving. He doesn't – because if you do move and get in the catcher's way, then you can get called for interference. You don't want to have that happen. So you just stand your ground, right? So Wilson Contreras is trying to get around him, and I don't think he took too kindly to the fact that he wasn't trying to move out of his way because as he's getting up and trying to kind of skirt around him and, and kind of spin off of him, he uh, gives him a little crotch squeeze and rip. Oh. So, uh, Max Muncy's future children, I don't know if he has any, but hopefully he does already. That oh, did not look comfortable. Yeah, it, it, no. That's got to be like a suspension or a fine, right? Uh, it, it, it got caught very clearly yeah, it, on TV. It, and it wasn't just a, like a, a loving cup. Of, 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 no, no, it wasn't yeah, a little it was, uh, tap. It was it was aggressive. Yes. I don't know. Maybe they're friends, but even then, like, that doesn't... Yeah, that's not. I wouldn't do that to a friend. No. No, I would not either. I'm not even sure I'd do it to an enemy. <laughs> like I, my life would have to be under, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I, I could imagine. I, 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 I can't say I've done it, mm-hmm. but well, okay, I have as a kid. Like I, I got in fights in middle school, right? Mm-hmm. You get mad, you throw a couple, whatever, you shove each other, no big deal. But I'm, in order, like the only way I would do something that egregious, my, li- I would have to be like, I need to, I need to, um, temporarily, you know, get this person to like. Disable. I need to temporarily disable this person to get them from killing me. So then I would do that and then run away. But my life would have to be under under like real threat for me to do that to another man. Okay, last up in case of the Mondays, Joel Embiid's KU jersey retirement. That was sad. I know. I mean, it, it could still happen. I, I, to be clear, still think it eventually will happen down the road. But one of the things we said is if he wins MVP, how do you not have him get his jersey retired because he would at that point be saying at one point in time Joel Embiid was the best basketball player on the state of the earth and I know that's not technically what MVP is it's not saying who is the best basketball player it's who's most valuable for that season but you get the sentiment there and so if he wins finals MVP or MVP it's hard to keep him out now he could still win finals MVP they could still go on to win the finals they're tied 2-2 with the heat we're going to talk more about the NBA playoffs here coming up in our next segment but um you know, Nikola Jokic wins it for the second time in a row. I, I think this is more also an argument of I felt I, I think I really started feeling this a couple years ago with uh with Spolster in the Heat. The coach of the year needs to be saved till the end of the playoffs. Um Joel might still be the might be the favorite, right? He might have become the favorite again at this point in the playoffs. Uh, maybe not, because I there's a good chance the Heat still take that series, although Philly did tie it up. Um, and, and with him, you know, back with his phantom of the opera mask, he's, you know, playing really well, got another double-double. Um, I do wonder, I don't know, I, I don't hate necessarily that they give him just for regular season, but I, I wouldn't be opposed to them, not to them, the voting be after the, the postseason ends. Oh, I 100% agree. Now, I, I just wouldn't want it to turn into an award where it's like, oh, you got to be in the finals to win the award. Agreed completely. So I get that, but yeah, I... 
This is tough for me. I'm a Denver Nuggets fan. You have Joel Embiid with the KU ties. To be honest, I kind of thought that Joel Embiid deserved it a little bit more this year. Um, You know, Jokic had a phenomenal season. He had, I think by most accounts, a better offensive season. Um, And he averaged more rebounds per game and averaged more assists per game. So you just look at, like, the raw numbers. But, uh, you know, this goes both ways. It's one of those things where... The Nuggets aren't even a playoff team. I don't know. They might be one of the five worst teams around him, given that Michael Porter Jr. was injured and Jamal Murray was out. But also with Joel Embiid, like he has more mouths to feed on his team, so you're not going to end up with as much. But he still averaged more points per game and everything. And he, uh, the difference to me, Joel Embiid is top five, top ten defender in the league when you look at the impact that centers have additionally. And he is one of the two or three best defensive centers in the league. Nikola yeah. Jokic has gotten better on that end. He's not like a, a train wreck there, but he's clearly not nearly as good as, as Joel Embiid. So I, I probably would have gone Joel Embiid there. By the way, I'm, I'm looking at the basketball reference pages right now. Um, just kind of looking at the stats between the two. I always love looking at this because basketball reference, and, and this goes with all like, you know, pro football reference, all those sites. They have like in the page in parentheses, they have nicknames for the players and it always like shocks me of some of these nicknames. I'm like, has anybody ever actually yeah, called I, you I that? Think, I think they. I yeah. I Let don't me know. go through these. So for Nikola Jokic, Joker, we've heard that one. Yep. Big Honey, which Never I heard actually that. have heard that one before because he well, looks you, a little you, like Winnie the Pooh. Okay, you and you follow the Nuggets closely, so yes. you're you're gonna know more of these than me. I've not heard Cookie Monster before. I've not heard Yoke. But I mean that makes sense. It's, like Jokic. Is Cookie Monster because they wear. I mean, it's a different shade of blue than than the. But they Cookie do Monster, wear blue. They do wear blue. I guess. I is this supposed to be like the Big Dipper, like with Wilt? It's the Big Tipper. I'm sure that's got to have. Does he tip a lot it. when he's maybe, on the road? Maybe, or I was thinking maybe do a lot of his points. You watch more games than I do. On tippins? Do, do they get tippins? I, I mean, he's just got like a very feathery, soft touch. It's not quite tips. He just like he does this little move where. If you're shorter than him or you don't, like, go up to block the shot, he'll just face up on you and just put his hands with the ball, like, all the way up to say, yeah, you can't get the ball, and he'll just, like, kind of, like, flick it in. It's kind of interesting. Uh, here's the ones for Joel Embiid. JoJo, we have heard we heard that one a lot. Oh, KU. yeah. The process, obviously. Yep. Where did – okay, Troel, that makes sense, like, like troll, because okay. he kind of trolls people. all right. Do a 180? I don't know where that comes from. I'm excited to watch Duo 180 in Game Five. I, yeah, did, did he? I don't know. Did somebody yell that to him, like on a breakaway dunk? And I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we're gonna talk NBA playoffs next. I'm gonna do some research in the break. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM FM 1017 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Looked up how Joel Embiid on. Basketball Reference got the nickname Dual 180. It was not a, you know, proclaimed nickname or anything. Uh, Jeopardy. On Jeopardy, there was a question that said something about, like, what was the name of the turnaround that Joel Embiid called what the Philadelphia 76ers were undergoing? Something along those lines. And the answer was the process. The correct answer was. This guy immediately buzzes into the show, like as as confident as, as you could buzz in. If you yeah, don't know, was, it, I mean, he was on it. Yes, if you don't know, you don't know. It. It's not a big deal, right? Move on. You're not into sports. It's not a big deal. But this guy, like you said, as confident as you could buzz in. Immediately, the question is like Alex Trebek is like finishing the last word. Buzz. Do a 180. 
process. <laughs> so that is how he got the nickname Dual 180. One thing I love about Jeopardy is that they take money away from you if you get it wrong. And like, because that, that prevents people just jumping in and going, you know, what is, you know, who, you know, yeah, potato. What movie won the Oscar in 1942 and someone's just like, you know, double cheeseburger. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. And so it prevents stuff like that. Um, but that man was, I don't know what that, did you happen to notice what it was like for, in terms of like, you know, NBA question. nicknames for however many dollars? Because like, you know, that could have that could have cost that dude money. Like, it definitely cost him money in terms of his point. But with Jeopardy, I think most people know this, but if you take, Dead last, you win one thousand. Second to last, two thousand, and then whatever money you have is how much you win if you've won the day. Um, so that I mean, I don't know. That may have kept that dude from winning. So uh, this was in the category of current sports nicknames for a thousand. This was the highest tier. One thousand stinkies. That guy lost. $1,000. Yeah, the question was Joel Embiid in 2019 won the trademark for this nickname of his that also describes the 76ers strategy of improving the team. Do a 180. This guy now, gosh, he had $4,200, which was in first. Oh, my God. So by missing this, this dropped him to 3200 which... I don't know if he ended up winning or not because second still had twenty eight hundred, so he still would have been in first. But like, he went for fourteen hundred dollar right. lead to a thirty two, and then you don't wow. know what happened in double jeopardy. Golly. Again, if you don't know it, you don't know it. But like the confidence that he run in, dual one eighty. And if you've got a mon, that's the other thing. If you've got a monster league mm -hmm. lead, then um, sit tight. Then buzz in, or you know, if you're like, okay, maybe I know it. Like I would understand if you're fifty fifty. But, like, this guy buzzed in with such confidence. <laughs> Do a 180, it. which, what? I love it. That's their team philosophy, Do a 180. Uh, I think it all came from the GM at first, the guy the guy who drafted him. We kept saying, trust the trust process. Trust the process, right? And it almost, it was like a joke in Philly at first. Yeah. And then Joel all of a sudden, took it then all of a sudden they got good. Yeah. Now, yeah. Well, we'll see if KU football can do a 180 this year. Yeah, That's that'd for be sure. sweet. Or, um. I don't even know what the football equivalent of that would be. I don't know. That's just funny. Whatever. Uh, by the way, the NBA Combine begins a week from today. I don't know if both the G League and the regular one or if it's just the G League or what, but um, today they released the G League Combine invites. Uh, David McCormick got a G League Elite Camp invite. Jalen Wilson got an invite. Remy Martin did not, which is interesting. And then the NBA Combine, I think they invite around 50 or 60 guys. And then what ends up happening as well is like there will be three, four, five guys, something like that, who earn their way from the G League one. And they go, hey, I want to see more of this guy. And they'll they'll add them. Into um, the Journal World reported, I think, Saturday. Yeah, that Ochag, Baj, and Christian Brown. Christian both got to the, to the big boy camp, not, yes. not just the G League. Which that on its own is is usually a good indication that because if they invite you know sixty or seventy guys that mean because uh, who they invite it's based on the last scouts and GMs and, and stuff like who do you want to see and uh, that usually is a good indication that you're on the radar of getting drafted if you're not invited that's usually an indication of that you have a lot of work to do now clearly there have been guys in the past who were not invited or they were invited to the G League and worked their way up and then eventually Jaylen was they were. invited to the G League last yes, year wasn't he yes he was so this is his second straight year in that 
And basically, the G League one is they do some like speed and agility and strength drills and stuff, and then they do five on five scrimmages. And if you stick out well enough, like I said, you can earn your way up into the the regular combine. So we don't know for sure because if they do go out there, if, if Jalen goes like with Dave, he's he's gone for sure. Ochai's gone for sure. Um, so they're performances don't impact the decision of whether they come back or not. Obviously, you're rooting for those guys because you want them to get into the NBA and, and get an opportunity and stuff. But as far as their decision of coming back to KU, that's not impacted. It is for Jalen Wilson and Christian Brown how they perform at the draft combine. And, and I think, you know, for both those guys, it's very much the case. But with Jalen Wilson, you're a average or okay or just a pretty solid uh, G League combine set of scrimmages away from basically making it a home run that you're or a slam dunk that you're coming back. Well, and a lot of the guests we've had on, it's it, they, their thought has kind of been it's less about what he'll get told and more about will he believe it because he's kind of, and in some ways this is a good thing, overly confident, a little bit headstrong, um, and self-praised the confidence of this team all year long and and it's good that they had that confidence and I think it carried them along I mean as, as far as it possibly could have um so I don't want to I don't want to to uh you know criticize Discount, the yeah. kid yeah I don't want to criticize the kid for having confidence and I think his confidence is probably why he's achieved as much as he has already in basketball but I do wonder if you know I have to wonder out loud if he gets told something, is he still going to have it in his head? No, they're wrong. I don't need and and that and look, if he does, then that's his decision and, and he'll still I still don't see him as much of an NBA guy. But look, if, if there's maybe he's wrong, or maybe on top of that he goes and, and gets a, a heck of a good living playing basketball. You know, I think people who really only follow college basketball or really only loosely follow the, like, I don't think people realize, I, you know, I think people here playing overseas and they think you're like, you know, relegated to some third world country making $10 a, a day. Right. And you're not like, you can make a hell of a good living living playing overseas. $60,000, $100,000, somewhere in that range for a, what, six month season, something like that. You know, it's, it's, it's not the word. And like in the case of guys who are really good overseas, like Keith Langford, he's probably made $20 million or something overseas. Like there are guys who make very good living um, over there. But yeah, as far as Jalen goes, though, it's a different conversation now, though, because it's it's not just I'm making money overseas, which is more than I'm making in college. It's now with NIL. You make money in college. Right. So it becomes different. And, and to your point on the confidence thing, I wonder if that's something where. Um, you know, you trust yourself and you say that, oh, well, I don't care that this mock draft doesn't have me on there. That's just some, like, this is, this is I'm sure what you say as a player, that's just some media guy. Like, what does he know? Not yeah, yeah, knowing yeah. that a lot of those media guys, not everyone, but a lot of those media guys have, like, ties with scouts and GMs yeah, they're, where they're, they're like, making, talking yeah, with Yeah, they're them, right? making their drafts not just on what they think. Some what of they're them, hearing, like right? your average blog, yeah. a lot of them, yeah, I'll just watch, you know, well, they'll watch the game and, and think. But a lot of the really well-established ones have connections. They know, they talk to GMs, they talk to scouts. Yeah, and so it's like, well, screw whatever this guy thinks. Like, what does he know, right? Um, but it, 
once you get in and you're actually talking with, and to your point, maybe he just says, no, but you know what? Maybe you're missing something. Like, I'm going to bet on myself. I don't care if I go undrafted. Give me a two-way deal. I'll play for you in summer league. I'm going to kill it at summer league. Then I'm yeah. going to kill it in training camp, and you're going to have no option but to give me a contract. But if that's how you feel. There's no stopping it, right? But if you do, I think, well, I'll let you finish your point, but I think I know where you're going. But it's just, it, it's it's a lot tougher when you hear the words of this is what you need to improve, and I'll be honest, right now we would not draft you yeah. specifically from NBA teams, from yeah. scouts, from GMs, from whoever it is. Yeah, if you go scout, you know, scouts like, no, you're nowhere on our radar, radar screen, here's why. Um, and by all accounts, these teams, it's not just like a brush-aside conversation. I mean, I'm sure maybe some scouts are jerks, but a lot for a lot of the, the, the talks they have, they go in-depth. Mm-hmm. It's not just like... You're not on our you're not on our radar screen. We're not going to draft you. Go home. They'll go like they'll give you this, 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 and this. And so it is a teaching exercise on the part of the scouts and on the part of the front office people that they actually, from what I understand, a lot of them, most of them, in fact, will take the time to really go into detail, mm-hmm. not just no, we don't want you by. Like and so, not only to your point, not only are you hearing it from legitimate established front office. NBA guys, you're also getting exact details. Yeah, and and I think like in the case of guys who could be first round picks, um, it would behoove the scout or the team to tell the kid like if if they're in a situation where you know it's it's a guy that they think in a year could like maybe this year he's a borderline top thirty, top twenty five guy, but they view him as being one of those guys in a year where he could be a top five, top ten pick. It would behoove them to say. No, you should stay in here because we promise we'll take you by here if you're there because you think in your head, okay, if we can keep this kid in the draft, we can get him at a better price this year than next year and take that risk. But for a guy who's a second-round pick or or maybe undrafted or a two-way or whatever it is, like it behooves the scout more to tell that kid, if that is really the case, go back to school because as an NBA team, you're not going to want to invest all this time and energy and yeah. effort in all your second-round picks as you do with your first-round picks. So you would rather say, we'd rather the college spend their time and effort developing that kid so we don't have to worry about it. Yeah, if you've got a bottom-of-the-first-round kid, you, your your thought process might be, we trust our coaches. But if, if you got a bottom or, or of the second-round or undrafted kid, it's like, why do we want to waste our time with our coaches? Yep. He's Adam Rivetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Rivetta. I am Derek Johnson. Before we get into our sports stock market, um, I wanted to make mention of this. KU football has another commit. It's another JUCO commit, and it's another uh, transfer commit that has lots of years left. It's not just the classic JUCO. You have two years left to play, then you're done. Uh, Davion Westmoreland, which is sounds like a British like lord. Was Davian or Damian? Davion. Davion Westmoreland. Yeah, Isn't right. The Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> I could hear that. Yeah. Um, he is six foot three, two hundred forty pounds. At least that's what it says on his twenty four seven sports page. Um, according to KUSports.com with Zach uh, Boyer, who we had on last week, he played at two hundred fifty five pounds last season, but could 
quote, very easily carry 275, according to Hutchinson Community College coach Drew Dallas. The young man could stand to eat some more fish and chips. Can you do this whole thing as I go through this? Perhaps. Okay. Uh, The other schools that uh, had the most interest in him, it's not as as great. I know this is something you like looking at. Oxford and and Cambridge. Uh, Sort of. Southeast Missouri State, North Alabama. Middle Tennessee State, Appalachian State, which I think they say is the Oxford of the uh, Appalachians. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you lost character there. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, so, you know, I don't know. But the, the good thing about this is that um, he has, this is according to the uh, the the whatever, uh, Sports.com article, he was a two-year starter. He was second team all KJCCC last year. He had 11.5 tackles for loss, 6.5 as a sophomore. And... Um, he has three seasons of eligibility left, plus he has a possible redshirt year. So you could still get four years out of this guy. I'm going to return Adam to the microphone now because I can't <laughs> condone all of this horrible violence that you see in American okay. football. Perfect. That was good. I yeah. appreciated that. All right. Thanks, Chester. Chester. All right. We got a name for him. Yeah. Chester uh, Dravetta. Is he part of the Dravetta family? Man, I, well, my uh, may, I, let's go Matthews. My grandma. Okay. My, my grandma. Was, that sounds more British. Yeah. My, well, that's her maiden oh. name, and she's from near. Yeah. Perfect. The closest big city she was near is uh, Manchester. Well, thank you to Chester Matthews. He will be uh, working for Sky Sports after this and uh, misplacing the next big NBA draft prospect to be I don't know Lamar Jackson or something. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so again, like another pickup where KU is bringing on these guy and and. The more we go with this staff, the less I care about the numbered extra recruiting rankings. I mean, I do. Like, the recruiting rankings do matter, and I don't want to make that sound like the thing. But I think um, very much so. We see all the time in college football, the top five teams, the top 10 teams, top 20 teams, whatever, it very much does matter how high your recruiting rankings are. I think we're seeing, though, that the difference between being the 35th best team and the 100 best team are really less about recruiting rankings and more about development and coaching and stuff like that. So I'm more worried about that. Um, but, you know, you get a bunch of years out of this guy, we'll see what they can develop him into. All right, with that being said, I want to get on to our sports stock market here as we hit the music. And first up in the sports stock market, families. And unfortunately, stock is down. That's, that's scary. Yeah, it is. Um, so this comes from... The Daily Mail online, which, hey, British. Yeah, that's a, that's a British newspaper. Uh, a sheriff arrested his own daughter for What'd trafficking meth. Oh, yeah, that's that's um, yeah, that's fair. Is in I, Florida. I, Probably could have guessed that. Well, okay, yeah, okay. Um, I would have guessed, like, Raytown, but sure. <laughs> well, Kristen Kent uh, is the daughter's name, 38 years old. She was... Uh, arrested for, or facing charges, I guess is the yeah, legal way of saying it, yeah. of trafficking methamphetamine of 14 grams or over, drug possession or use, and cocaine possession. So she had a uh, a whole list of things on her. And as you would imagine, the father said this is very like disappointing and all these things. Um, that's, yeah, that's tough for family. And I'm afraid to say that Vin Diesel is going to walk in this studio and punch me in the face. But my, uh, my dad had to be, he, he, nearly got me arrested well no i nearly got me arrested in high school and it, it, my dad so long story my dad um at, at one point was the mayor of gardner is at this at, at this time when this happened he was just he was a city councilman 
Um, and he'd been, and, and he started on the city council back when Gardner was a particularly small town. And so he knew, you know, the, the chief of police at that time was a very nice man um, who had a, a, you know, a resting heart rate of about seven. He was a very calm guy. And anyway, I got a, a ticket for, I was, was a senior in high school. I uh, got a ticket for um, uh, not going through a, uh, or for not stopping at a stop sign. I did, I did a rolling stop. Yeah. So I deserved the ticket. I got the ticket. Um I didn't pay the ticket, and uh, that's for any kids out there. First off, follow the direct the rules. If you happen to not, and you make a mistake, and you get a ticket, probably don't let the grass grow under that. <laughs> Did um, you just forget, or were you just no, like, ah, no, they won't? Care. I didn't really have the money. Oh, uh, okay. And so I, I just, I was in my mind. I, I was, um, I was, I was. Avoidance is still a difficult thing for me now as, uh-huh. as, a, as a character trait. It was way worse at that point. So, no, I just kept putting – and I I, um, I even was able to – because I was the first home every day in my family, and so I got the mail. And so they send you – at that point, I don't know if they still do, but they send you a mail after you miss your first date and say, bro, you got a month or we're going to put a warrant out for your arrest. And I got that and still hit it for my parents. And I still don't know why I thought I was just, I don't know. Please don't Because I was a stupid kid is why yeah. I thought this. So I got a voicemail from uh, my dad. It was about 2.30 in the afternoon. And, and school lets out at 3. And I look at my phone at 3, see the voicemail, and I go, I know what he's calling about. And uh, Pops has, when needed, you know, not, not all the time, but when needed, he could call upon quite the see i i didn't get the italian temper i really don't have much of a temper <laughs> pops got the italian temper and um he could call upon it when necessary and boy did he but anyway as the story goes um he was just like this you know basically just send the little m effort in jail i'm sick of him i don't care and uh the the chief of police said you know Come on, he's he's a decent kid. Just he screwed up. We'll talk to him. We'll make sure he knows how serious this is, and, and we'll get it figured out. But man, he was pissed. <laughs> so he would have happily, had he been a police officer, he would have happily arrested me that day. Well, if it was meth too, that's, that's a, a good little point. bit different that's a good than point. rolling through yeah, a stop sign. Yeah, that's a good point. Just yeah. a little. An unpaid an unpaid ticket, while serious and needs to be dealt with, mm-hmm. is not meth. Yes. Uh, how about this one? Stocks up on hard workers. That's a good thing. Um, good. Good for them. Yeah. Uh, this goes back to the NFL draft. My dad, a very hard worker, by the way. Okay. Is, Stocks up on him. I mean, you'll find that the son, the children of immigrants t- tend to be, and immigrants themselves tend to be remarkably hard workers. Mm. Well, this goes back to the NFL draft. It also carries over into, you know, when teams lose in the playoffs in the NBA or NHL or whatever, their season ends and then uh, there's the next season. And everyone will let you know that they're ready to go to work. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're ready for the next season. They're they're up and about it. Remember when Jonathan they're back on the grind. Remember when Jonathan Baldwin went for a jog at like yeah. four in the morning? And we're all like, yeah, he's Jonathan ready. Baldwin. He's gonna get a thousand Jerry yards Rice this year. 2.0. Yeah, funny how that works out. <laughs> that always cracks me up. Every player will tweet that out. Ready to work? Oh yeah, they're Let's ready. Team to, up. They're ready to grind, dude. Yeah, that's the other one. Hashtag grind. Rise and grind. Yeah, rise and grind. <laughs> Love it. Uh, stocks down 
on DeAndre Hopkins becoming a doctor. Sorry, I missed I missed oh, the one right. on, on work, so here's that one. Okay, there, there we go. go. Double bow. Yeah, stocks down on DeAndre Hopkins becoming a doctor. He uh, won't take the COVID vaccine, but he will take steroids. <laughs> well, so, uh, so his, his chances of getting wisely. COVID go up and his chances in, in, in other parts of his body go down. Well, you know, that's the talk. It's like, I don't know what's being inserted into me, but it's like, but you'll take steroids. Yeah, I I honestly Which we think, know what are in steroids, and they're not good. And they're, te- and they're terrible for you. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I think a lot of it is you, if you question, like, we've kind of got this world of, of, of charlatans now where if you question the mainstream, you're immediately viewed, you must be smart. Oh, he's going against what the mainstream says. He's smart. He's a, you know, he's a cavalier of, of thought, um, a rebel of thought, and... and it's, it's basically, it's the exact same mindset as blindly following the crowd. It's just blindly going against the crowd. So you're still making your decisions based on no information. But anyway, that's my little rant about that. The Cardinals so, had to have known you, about this, right? They went can out you imagine a roided up doctor, though? Would that make you more confident or less confident? Because you'd be like, oh, he's in not, really good shape, yeah, right? but it'd make me not want to get a prostate exam from him. <laughs> You don't want that. You turn you know, into a hand puppet. Yeah, he's like he's like checking your you're like, ah, oh, I think I broke my arm. Can you check on it? He's like squeezing <laughs> you. Yeah. Like, ah! yeah. Um This is what Hopkins said in regard to everything. He said, I was confused and shocked. I'm very mindful of what I put in my body Clearly. and have always taken a holistic approach. So I'm working with my team to investigate how this could have happened. What did what's it gonna be? Did he eat some uh, we talked about somebody um, a couple weeks ago when we were like, oh, you said it's only a matter of time till he blames it on oh, yeah. a, 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 a tainted dinner that he had right. somewhere. Oh, I just, I was eating steak and yeah, I, don't I don't know what they, they must, I don't it. know what they put in the cows they nowadays, you know? Like, in my, yeah. in my food. <laughs> so he's suspended six games. Like I said, I think, I think the Cardinals had have known about this because they, they traded for Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown. And I guess you could say that DeAndre Hopkins was hurt at the end of last year that maybe it makes you think, oh, is he starting to get to that age where he's going to start falling apart? But, like, they already had, you know, they re-signed A.J. Green. They have Rondell Moore, who they used, I think, a second-round pick yeah. on the year before. Um, they have somebody else in the fold as well. And it's like, this, why would you go out and get Marquise Brown? This feels like a McCole Hardman sort of thing. Not, like, obviously, with the Chiefs, when they drafted Hardman, Tyreek Hill was some much more serious. I mean, steroids are against the rules, and, and he needs to be suspended by the rules. But that much less serious than what was going on with Tyreek Hill at the time. But the point is, it feels like the same situation. They knew that they were going to need, at least for part of the season, a replacement for what they thought was their one or two receiver. It is weird, though, because he tested negative in, I think, October and December, but tested positive for the November one. Which you would think they Maybe would all be. Maybe it was Thanksgiving dinner. Oh no! Yeah, trip the fan. Is that illegal? I don't know. Uh, who knows? All right, uh, stocks up on Phil Mickelson. Really? Yeah, you wouldn't think so, right? I, I mean, it, not from the not from the tax thing. Well, I that's saw. the thing, right? Well, no. Check this out. Okay, so Phil Mickelson, for what you're referring to, federal auditors investigating Phil Mickelson's role in an insider trading scheme found that his gambling losses totaled more than $40 million from 2010 to 2014. That, according to an excerpt from Alan Shipnuck's forthcoming biography. Let me say this. I once lost, Mm -hmm. in one go-around, $400 at a trip to the casino. And I had a crisis that night. Like, I was really, like, like, 
it was like I can't believe I mm-hmm. did. that's like I, I was embarrassed. I it was um, everything and like forty million. Forty million. Do- I, I, look, man, I don't care how much money Phil Mickelson has made. Forty million dollars is a lot of money. Yeah, for, that's why. Yeah, yeah, a million dollars is still a million dollars, even if you yeah. made a hundred million. Like, right? I, I it's truly, still a million dollars. I truly do not care how much money that man has made. Forty million dollars yeah. is an ass load so, of money. So you may be wondering, okay, why is stock up on Phil Mickelson? Well, the previous reasons he was in the headlines oh, were for the Saudi Arabia League thing. That's a good where point. Where he basically said, like, you know. It they, wasn't so bad what they did. Yeah, it's not so bad over there. I don't know. And, and all that stuff. And he had to basically backtrack a bunch of stuff. And I actually will say that that put the stock up on other golfers wanting to leave that, to go to that tour. Because, I mean, he... A lot of guys want to go to that tour. The thing happened with Sergio, so Sergio Garcia, and they're going to get so much money. Um, but the other, I think now he took a lot of heat off of them because he said something so stupid that now guys are going to be like, no, no, I'm just going because I think it's a better opportunity yeah. and blah, like, blah, blah. Well, I know they don't treat women well over there, and they're not allowed to like drive and do all these things, but the golf league's interesting. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that. You can't do that. So uh, this is actually, you know, it's past money losses. Better reason to be in the news than that's the past one. Yeah, that's su- supporting. Yeah, that's a good point. Stock's up on Phil Mickelson. All right, last one we got. Stock is up. All right. On big markets. Maybe the stock is always up. But uh, L.A. and New York. Did you know this is the first time? I think it was the first time ever. Uh, that all four are yeah, leading four their division. Yeah, all leading their division. Yeah, they're kicking ass. Mets, um, Yankees, Dodgers, Angels. I'll say this. It wouldn't hurt my feelings to see the Angels actually. I have no feelings about the Angels themselves. It wouldn't hurt my feelings. To, it, it, you know, the last time the Angels were in the playoffs, the Royals swept them. I wanted, you know, I was happy with that result. If the Royals get back into the playoffs this year and play the Angels, I'll root for the Royals. But as it stands, um, with the Royals looking like they're not going to the playoffs, I would be more than happy with the Angels winning a World Series, and we're still so you know early. Um, but if the Dodgers and the Angels wind up in the World Series together, is every game going to be at like ten at night? Do they just pre-plan what time it's going to be, or That's do they base good, it on I, the yeah, location? Yeah, I think they're probably more likely. They'd be much more likely to play at like four thirty or five in the afternoon LA time than push it to ten or eleven East Coast. Well, time. honestly, that would be stocked down on traffic. Yeah. Well, yeah, stocks I mean, up on traffic, stocks down on getting anywhere in a timely manner. Yeah, stocks, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, that would not be good. This has got to be what Rob Manfred is hoping for, though, right? I mean, you're talking about a sport that is, I don't know if losing interest is the right way to say it. I, I think just not growing as substantially as the other sports, right? Yeah, I think that's a good way like, to it's put not, it. It's not like, I, I think dying is the wrong way to put it because it's still a $10 billion, you know, sporting league industry, right? But again, it's not like growing. Like, the NFL continues to grow. The NBA continues to grow. I'll I'll say this. If you ask me, like, you can't buy stock in sports leagues, but just to use this analogy. Just plateauing. Yeah, if you, you, like, if you said, hey, I will give you a thousand shares of MLB stock for the next month uh, versus the the MLS, I would take the MLB stock. If you said I'll give you a thousand shares of either one for the next ten years, I might think about the MLS. Right. Well, I mean, it, it, because the MLB is really going no, going right to where it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sideways. Like the MLS. You're not saying the MLS is going to become a ten billion dollar industry, but I think they could meet somewhere. 
with Maybe. time. We'll see. I, I think, though, that this has got to be what Rob Manfred would want above all. I mean, well, and especially Yankee, with these Yankees. Dodgers, yeah. right? If you get that in the World Series, that's going to be the highest rated World Series. In yeah, I mean, what, have long. they played Maybe a ever? World Series since 77? I don't think so. That was the Reggie Jackson World Series, mm-hmm. and they it was it was Lasorda versus um, uh, Martin, uh, Billy Martin, and and so that was a huge huge deal. Um, and I don't, yeah, those would be two big teams. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I think baseball. Look, I I know people hate the Yankees, but I actually. Maybe it's because people hate the Yankees that I actually do believe that the, the sport's better when they're good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the MLS, I don't know. I wonder how much the MLS is worth in relation to the uh, the MLB. But, I mean, it's, you look at— I mean, the commercial— Some it, of the, the teams are valued up there. Like, Atlanta United, I'm looking right now, is valued at $845 million. Yeah, I think sporting— I guess is, it's closer than I thought. I think sporting is hovering 300 range million. So that yeah, you're 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 getting there. Yep. He's Adam Brevetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.